So a little bit of Greek knowledge I'm going to bring to you here in the introduction. No, this is not a typical way I like to introduce things. Uh, if it sounds like English class, I'm not doing my part, but I'm going to give you a little bit and hopefully it sounds less like English or Greek than it, uh, than it might be. What is the difference between the active voice, the passive voice, and the middle voice? Concerning the Greek word, hupotasso. That's a fun, if you want to try to say that word after me, hupotasso, you can. That, does that sound fun? Hupotasso. All right, you guys are right in there. It's translated as be subject. Be subject. And those are some key uh, phrase in what we're going to be looking at in 1 Peter. The active voice is to make, to force, to, to force others to subjection. It's kind of what God does when he brings all things under Christ. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. That is in the active voice. That's a force. That's happened. Or, God, or Christ bringing all things under his own feet. Same type of tense. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Now, the passive voice, that sounds really passive, doesn't it? Thanks for laughing. That was a triad of joke there. Uh, is to bring things underneath someone else's control. Like the angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to Christ. God subjected those things. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. But the middle voice is, is what comes out a lot in 1 Peter. And it's neither being forced into subjection or being brought into subjection. It's choosing to be in subjection. To be obedient to a voluntary submissiveness. And that's the lesson today. Be subject for the Lord's sake. The first point is authority. The second is servants. The third is wives. So the first point is authority. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. What is God saying? I want you, Christians, all of you, to be submissive and choose to be submissive, choose to obey, choose to subject yourself to the governing authorities of the nation that you live in. And of course, again, he's talking to Christians who are, by nature, already exiles and outcasts. We are outcasts because we choose to be first and foremost in God's family. So as God's family, for the Lord's sake, brings out a different idea, doesn't it? You're doing it not because your physical authority is all that great. It's because God's authority is great. In ex ex exiles, God wants you to be respectful, obedient to your earthly authorities. We shouldn't claim that our worldly authorities don't matter. We still live here. 
In the first century, remember, Rome was supreme. Probably not the easiest authority to live under if you buck the system by saying, there's a greater God than you, emperor. But still in those things that are appropriate under national authority, we need to obey. We need to be submissive. Be a willing, willingly subjecting for the Lord's sake. Now we know just because the government oversees worldly affairs in their own country, it doesn't mean that all that they require is good and godly. Amen? All right, we can say that today as well, can't we? It doesn't mean all they say is good and godly. The Bible doesn't preach the goodness of tyranny, and it doesn't preach the goodness of oppression. It doesn't teach to worship another God, but God himself. So common sense says submission is conditional. It's conditional. But when we submit, we do it because we choose to. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Who are the foolish people? Well, probably those who don't follow God. How do you run your business? How do you run your family? How do you live around your neighbors? Have you ever had a neighbor that just flat out didn't like you? For whatever reason, it could be partly your fault. I don't know. They badmouth you in the community. They yell at your kids. They are drinkers, perhaps, and hate Christians in general. But when they spread their wickedness, the community might believe them at first. Oh, this is what such and such says. But the community later figures out the truth or they already know better. You are not wicked. So time and doing good will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people who might have believed what they preached about you. See, we should live as servants. In Christ, you who are Christians are free people. You are free people. In God's nation, in God's kingdom, under God's reign, you are free people. Not free to do what you want under any government. However, we are free people because we choose to be subject to the Lord and obey what he wants for the Lord's sake. We don't use Christ to cover up hidden evil. And we don't use Christ to allow evil to win. We stand up when things are evil. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. 
Is any government perfect? No. Do we submit blindly? We shouldn't. We choose to submit because we are first choosing to submit to God. If something doesn't go against God, we should be subject for the Lord's sake. The second point, servants. Christian servants. Is it possible for any servant, Christian or otherwise, to have a bad attitude? Even an indentured servant, a slave or a hired servant, can serve with bad attitudes. Smile when the master comes in. Speak badly behind his back when he walks out the door. And not performing their responsibilities to their best. But Christian servants who might not be servants because of free will. Remember, we're dealing with Rome. And if you've ever been in any other cultures, they still have slaves today in many other cultures. You might not be that servant because of free will. God says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Anybody here want to work underneath an unjust master? I wouldn't. Who's our primary relationship? God. That's an attitude shift, isn't it? That's an awareness. Be subject. Remember, this is written in a particular tense in the Greek. Choose to be subject. Can that master force you into subjection? Absolutely, he can under certain types of master-slave situations. But it's you who choose to respect him, even if he is unjust, because you are doing it for the Lord's sake above all else. That's what he's referring to. Choose to be in subjection. Choose to respect. Not that he or she deserves it. But you're doing it for the Lord's sake first and foremost. Why does God care if we subject and respect our masters? Surely if our masters are Christians, they will be kind to us. You might be going, how can a master be a Christian? Well, we see that in Philemon. It wouldn't have been uncommon. And in this world, it might not be uncommon in various places. I don't know. Surely if our masters are Christians, they will be kind to us. And we can take advantage of their goodness. Slacking off, doing what we want to. Well, that doesn't sound like godly submission, does it? That choice to do the best I can for the Lord's sake. 
But if our masters are not Christians, why should we put in respect, obedience, and submission? Because the Lord wants us to. And He is our primary relationship. In Christian suffering, the reality is our master may not be that kind and generous. They may be unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, putting him first, that's one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. Now, anyone who does wrong goes to jail and gets beaten for it. Well, that's just the price you pay. If you drink and drive and you kill somebody, you're going to go to jail. It's filled with regret and the society's penal system will punish you. But if you suffer for doing God's will, living subject to your master, but the master is not respecting your true master, who is God, and punishing you for that, then your punishment is not truly justified, is it? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He recognizes it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Why is it good in the sight of God? Does he like to see us suffer? Does he like to see us go through hardships? Does he want Christians persecuted? Well, he goes right into the concept of Christ's suffering. We are called to suffer because Christ was called to suffer, and he is our example. Some people like to say they've been called to the ministry or, they've been, or a particular occupation, and people go, that is great, good for you. But we must recognize that under certain situations, all Christians are called to suffer when God is first and our master says, not in my house. We go, sorry, buddy, but my choice to submit is conditional. God comes first. But God says, choose to submit. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you may follow in his steps. But he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He suffer, his suffering helps those who choose to follow God become exiles. Seeking eternal life. Our subjection and suffering, guess what? might help others turn to Christ also. A kind word turns away a what? An ang anger? 
a master who's angry at you, treats you unjustly, and you turn around and say, what do you want me to do? He might go, who is this that I'm talking to? And you say, I serve the Lord, the risen Lord. You see how it works? Can we apply that today in our jobs? Absolutely. Absolutely. Third point. Wives. Christian wives be subject. Now remember what I said about subjection. It's not about husbands forcing subjection. It's about wives choosing to subject themselves to their husbands. For whose sake? The Lord's sake. Now, before anybody jumps up and down on me about equal rights, Scripture says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Again, subjection is done willingly. You choose to. You're not forced to. You choose to. Why? I find it interesting when wives are brought up in Scripture. It is usually done in conjunction with all Christians to governing authorities, slaves to masters, children to parents, congregants to elderships, concepts of male spiritual leadership. It is not done out of punishment, but a certain order to things. And God recognizes this order. This order basis is not based on culture, any culture, at least with wives, that is. It is based on the order of creation, man being created first. You can go to 1 Corinthians 11 to deal with that subject. But for Christian wives, it may also be a matter of evangelism. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Why are you respectful to me? Why do you have some godly approach to how, when I treat you so harshly, well, let me tell you why. Because here's my first love. <laughs> You're not ranking so high. But God wants me to be subject to you. He is my first love. And I'm going to win your soul for him. <laughs> you get the idea? It's a choice. And the choice is broader than, oh, he should treat me with respect. It's more, oh, how can I save his soul? Which is more important? Tell me the truth. Equal rights or God's will in a husband and wife relationship? Which is more important, your way or helping a husband who may be spiritually lost? I hope you choose the soul first. The soul is more important than anyone's pride. And I hope your desire is to God's will and to God's creation as this ordained relationship. Is it easy? 
anything that you put in put into a submissive role I don't think it's easy can it be rewarding conduct means something it is not just external but something without pretense that is deception or a hoax do you really love your husband or is he just a figurehead only now together together you represent the head of your family and they, the kids, should respect the both of you as the head of the family. Would you like them to do it willingly? Or would you like them to do it by force? But in God's creation of husband and wife, your willing respect for your husband is not because he is perfect. But it is for the Lord's sake and done out of your choice not out of his force. That's not approved. With the goal of submitting to the Lord first, 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 6. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and the putting of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women of the hoped and God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Can subjecting yourself be, to your husband be frightening? Even a believing husband? I guess maybe it can. But our trust should truly be in the Lord, should it not? Christian husbands, I hope the life of your Christian wife is not that of suffering because you are oppressive. That would be flat out wrong. Flat out wrong. Like that of a servant who serves an unjust master or any Christian who lives under an oppressive government. But remember, we are outcasts in this world, exiles who live under the lordship of Christ. Our way is not an easy way, but our way carries great eternal rewards. And Christian's husband's love should not be one that makes his wife suffer. Not at all, even if she is not a Christian. In fact, his love for her should be not be one that makes her suffer. He should willingly love her for the Lord's sake as well. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and we will close. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So as we conclude... Be subject for the Lord's sake. Authority deals with governing authority. Respecting our government is done for the Lord's sake. But it's not a blindly done, is it? Servants deal, deals with having masters. Respect your masters for the Lord's sake. Wives deals with husbands. Respect your husbands for the Lord's sake. Respect in this context is not done blindly. All must first respect 
God's will first. If there's anybody here who has any needs this morning, prayer request or otherwise, please come forward now as